0: Go to Luke chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to give you a little insight, help you understand uh, why I do some of the stuff that I do from the pulpit or the stage. Um, one of the things that was impressed upon me uh, later rather than earlier in my life as a minister was the need for us as Christian people, and especially as Baptist kind of Christian people to really think about what we say we believe. The reason that's important for us is because we can kind of default into what some people call folk religion. And it's it's a very much a comfortable kind of place to be because we have these key truths that we just kind of hold on to and we embrace. And, you know, we just kind of sit around the room and we hold these truths up against our chest and it's comforting for us. The problem with that, as much as there is some value in that, the problem with that is, first of all, sometimes those nice, comfortable folk religion kind of truths for us uh, have some truth in them, but they're not necessarily always true, totally true. And so we need to be able to think through those and process through those and make sure that we're uh, engaged at the place that we need to be engaged in our thinking. Another problem with that, and we're you know, in this series of the book of Luke that we're studying, Luke's gospel, and, and I've entitled the whole series as storytellers because we are in the same role that Luke was in when he wrote that, and that is we need to make sure that the people around us understand and know the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that happens when we default into a folk Christianity approach is that we don't always think about how people who don't know the story hear the stuff that we have to say and sometimes it can be a little bit of a stretch for them and then sometimes we do things and say things that causes them to have to get over that in order to get to Jesus Christ and so with that in mind let's talk about healing okay Uh, Luke chapter four is where we find ourselves today and it's another step as Luke lays out for us the picture of the early part of Jesus ministry as he kind of begins this introductory tour Of the area in which he lived. If I said to you, let's have a healing service, some of you would immediately call the deacons and say, you got to talk about this preacher. As a matter of fact, we have a sign out here on the front uh, of our property. And uh, we put it out there not long after I got here. It was in the works. By the time I got here, it wasn't my doing, okay, anything like that. But I was supportive of it, still supportive of it. Because um, the people who study that kind of stuff tell us that thousands of people every day drive by our property here. And it becomes a great way for us to put the word out uh, in one way or another, at least to begin to tell the story, at least to put hooks out there to say to somebody, hey, you want to know what's going on? Here's a little insight. And so we put stuff on the sign that does that. And so I began to use a while back, began to use the title of my sermons that we put out there every day, every week, In the latter part of the week. Uh, I put the sermon title out there as a way to try to hook people, at least to make them think a little bit. And so this week's title of the sermon, as you see, is Healing Service. And I told the ladies in the office, be sure that you get the question mark after service, all right? Because I knew that if we just put Healing Service out there on the billboard, I'd have all the Baptist authorities in the state of Texas over here checking me out today. I had a deacon who contacted me this week and said, I'm not going to be there Sunday, but I noticed that you're having a healing service, and I'm just wondering, are you also going to introduce snakes into the service too? To which I replied, don't forget the question mark. But having said that, I will also tell you that in some of my formal education, uh, and you just have to know, once I got out of high school, the formal education that I got, master's level, I'm excuse me, bachelor's level, master's level, and anything beyond, that was all in Baptist institutions. Two of them, biggest seminaries in The world, one of them is the biggest Baptist seminary in the world. Another one is one of the biggest. And so with that in mind, I went to these Baptist places expecting good Baptist stuff. And of all things, I went to class one day, and our professor had a guest lecturer at our Baptist institution. And it was a guy who was pastoring a church in the Austin area. That says a lot. He was pastoring a church in the Austin area. And this church was having healing services. What? that's not that big a deal. We have that all over the place around here. But in this case, it was a Baptist church having a healing service. I thought, surely, lightning would strike in our classroom. Surely, Baptists don't believe in having healing services. Right? I don't know about that. When you came in today... You should have gotten a bulletin. And in your bulletin, as is true every week, is a yellow piece of paper. Everybody got Anybody get one of those? All right. You didn't? You did. Okay. Well, you, it's because you go to the wrong service. In the early service is where we believe in prayer. Okay? <laughs> well, actually... This is for both services. Maybe we just ran out because so many people are praying that we just can't keep these in stock. But in this yellow sheet of paper, on this yellow sheet of paper, you find at the top it says prayer list. And then we have a list of people that we're praying for as a church. This list is generated through the office by phone calls and emails from church people who contact the office to say, we need the church to pray for and then whatever that prayer request happens to be. All right, So we generate a list we pass it out and we expect you to do what with this leave it in your pew or your chair that's what usually happens but ideally we want to pray for people now here's the the kicker what kind of stuff typically makes a Baptist prayer list and the answer is in a huge majority of cases it's physical stuff So, I'd submit to you, at the very least, I'm not going to need that. I'll just leave it over there. Uh, I would submit to you that typically Baptists operate in a dual personality mode on this issue. Because out of one side of our brain, we want to uh, sign off on we believe that God heals. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't have a list. And we wouldn't put it on yellow paper to make sure everybody knows it's the list as opposed to just a bulletin. So that that part of our brain believes that. But typically you go into a Baptist church and if the Baptist preacher says we're going to have a healing service, they're going to have a deacon's meeting after church and get rid of that preacher most of the time. So what's the disconnect for us? I think this is kind of one of those things that, that argues for us having a thinking Faith. We need to be studied in what we say we believe, and we need to be able to put it together in such a way that it measures up with God's Word. That's the standard of truth that we look to. Now that's an important statement right there. Because you're gonna, you can go anywhere in this area, I'm guessing. I've been here a couple of, almost two and a half years, working towards two and a half years, and I've seen it already, some in this area. I saw it where I used to live. I've lived all over the state of Texas. I've seen it everywhere. I've even gone overseas, and I've seen it overseas. This mentality that says, well, we can just conjure up. well, see, that's a negative connotation. We can believe up. No, that doesn't catch it. We can have faith enough that God will heal somebody. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? So let's look at this passage, and we'll read it in just a moment, but I've got a couple of things to say before we get to the reading part, but I want us to look at this next installment of what Luke has to say, and I want to use it because it's the first real encounter in the book of Luke that we find of Jesus doing healing. We're going to find it all the way through it, and I think it's a good time for us to start thinking a little more deliberately maybe than what we might normally do i got to tell you, on the front end of it, I have a certain amount of discomfort and have historically not been really comfortable with this whole thing, this idea of healing and healing prayer and healing service. One of the reasons for that is because I think that there is this tension that we need to feel. It is that part of us that knows that God can heal. But the tension that we have to feel really centers in the sovereignty of God. you understand what I mean by that? Um, well, let me put it to you this way. One of the things that comes with my role as a pastor is that I get called on a regular basis to go to the hospital to see people who are in the hospital. And that's been true for a long time. I mean, I've been in ministry a long time. I don't know how many hundreds, thousands of hospital visits I've made. And I go to the emergency room or I go to somebody's hotel room or we wait in the uh, waiting room for surgery and all that kind of... And I encounter people and I encounter the loved ones of people who are physically ill to the point that they need to be in the hospital. And so when I go there, one of the things that I know is the right thing to do is to pray for those people. But the question has to be asked, how should I pray for those people? Early on, I would go and I would do what I thought was the preachery kind of thing to do. By the way, I don't do much of the preachery thing to do just because that's what the thing to do is anymore. Okay, I've grown out of that. Uh, But the preachery thing to do when you go to the hospital to see somebody who's ill is that you pray, what? That God would heal them. And so I started praying for people that way. And most of them died. Now, you just have to decide, do you really want me to come pray for you if that's the case? If if that's my track record, do you want me to come and pray for you in the hospital or one of your loved ones who's in the hospital? So people died. And I walked away from that, and I was confronted with this tension. The tension is, why, if I can pray that God would heal them and they don't, what's wrong with this? Either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with them or maybe something's wrong with God. And so I default to where I think Scripture always defaults and that is to the reality of the sovereignty of God. See, if I pray for you that God would heal you, and God chooses not to heal you, and you die, for some people, that's a signal that God either wasn't capable of healing them or just wasn't willing to heal them. Now, that puts God in a bad place, in my opinion. And so we are sophisticated enough as Baptist people that we don't want to impugn God's credibility and we really don't want to get on our own case. So it must be this other person's problem. Maybe they didn't have enough faith to be healed. I'm going to come back to that in just a few moments. But I want, you to, I want you to get a real good solid dose of the struggle that we have here. This is a serious question for us. If we're going to put out a prayer list and say we're praying that God would heal you, what happens if God doesn't heal that person? So here's a bottom line truth that I want us to work from, okay? The first bottom line truth is that God, now I'm going to say Jesus, God, is in all of this. Uh, God, Jesus, that's interchangeable, okay? Jesus is the Son of God, we know, part of the Trinity, uh, but He's God in the flesh, okay? So Jesus, God, I'm going to use them interchangeably as we go through this. I hope that doesn't mess you up too much. But here's the basic truth I want to start with Jesus, God, can heal now do you believe that if you don't believe that i just kind of want to walk through history with you and give you from my own experience examples of where god has taken uh, steps in people's lives sometimes miraculously i guess if you really want to get right down to it anytime there's a healing it's a miraculous thing sometimes god uses medicines and physicians and sometimes he doesn't but the fact is god can heal That's in this passage, okay? Let me show you in this passage. Let's read Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 38, and it says this, and he arose, now that's Jesus, let me put the context together for you. You remember, he's baptized by John the Baptist, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, he does battle with the devil this temptation thing, and Jesus comes out of that and immediately goes to his hometown, which is Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach, and the people go, wow, this dude's incredible. Did you hear what he had to say? We like him as a teacher. And he'll say, and then he turns right around and he gives them a piece of information that they don't like, and so they turn and they say, let's kill him. Sounds just like church people. Well, not here, but there. And so he goes from there, and it says he goes down to Capernaum, to the synagogue there. He goes back to church, in other words, and he's doing this teaching thing, and people are amazed at the authority with with which he teaches. And even in Capernaum, in the synagogue, they're, wow, this guy's awesome. Have you heard him? And then, of all things, this dude with the demon shows up, and Jesus cast the demon out of him, showing now not only he has authority over the devil, as we saw in the wilderness, he has authority in teaching, but now we see that he has authority over the demons, and Luke's laying this picture out for us, and this Jesus now is getting bigger and bigger for us, and he walks out of that, probably the distance of this stage to back where the sound booth is. Teresa and I have been to Capernaum and at least the ruins of Capernaum and the synagogue to the house that Jesus goes to in this passage is no more than that distance. He can't even get down the street before somebody grabs him. I pick up reading again verse 38. And he rose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So the whole passage now takes another step in Luke's introduction of who Jesus is. And it's critical for us that we see in this introduction in Jesus' public ministry that he's showing his authority as the Son of God in all of these different arenas of life. And this one especially is in the arena of human disease or human sickness. The truth is God can heal. He has authority in the physical realm of our lives, Luke, always the physician. We find that as we work our way through his gospel, he writes in a very studied, kind of scholarly way, he puts things together on purpose, and, and he fashions this thing to just kind of walk us through in this seamless thread of who Jesus is. And it goes all the way into the book of Acts, this two volume history that he gives. But Luke is the doctor, he's the physician. When he comes to this particular discussion, he uses language that helps us see the medical side of what's going on. Peter's, Simon, it says, we'll know him later as Simon Peter. Uh, His mother-in-law, that means that Simon Peter was married. That's another place in scripture also. Simon Peter, the disciple who would be later in Luke's gospel, has a mother-in-law who is sick Now, some of you are going, that's nothing. i got a mother-in-law who's sick too. That's a different kind of sick, okay? That's what I'm saying. He's using language here where he's talking about her having a fever, but this is a high fever. Luke's critical for, for us in the way he states this. It is a situation that is beyond the help of doctors, if you will. And Jesus walks into that. And he takes a position of authority as he stands over her there and he rebukes the fever. Interesting terminology that Luke chooses here. And then in verse 40, the next picture is not just Jesus with this one. Now, it's Jesus with all these people and they're all coming with various diseases, it says. And he heals every one of them. Interesting language again. It says that Jesus places his hands on them. That's not, there's nothing in Jewish religious life to this point for us to believe that Jesus does that as a way of transferring power. That's not what he's doing with this laying on of hands. It is a compassionate, touching, caring, intimate kind of thing where Jesus reaches out and he sees these people. By the way, that's a good place for me to just stop and say, put yourself in that situation. This same Jesus in that situation with those people who were hurting and beyond medical help, that same Jesus reaches out to you to put his hands on you, not as a transfer of power or all the boogity-boogity stuff that comes with uh, some of this Christian approach. It's just a connection point. Some of the greatest illnesses that people have ties to being alone and untouchable. And Jesus stretches across that void and he places his hands on these people and he heals them. It's a good thing for us to remember that God can heal people. So that would argue for our prayer list in a very positive way. We go to God and we say, we know you can But see, there's a corollary to this truth. The reality that we know from life is, because every one of us has, well, maybe every one of us, most of us, have been to funerals of loved ones who God chose not to heal. So on one hand, you know that God can heal, but on the other hand, you know that sometimes God doesn't heal. And what do you do with that? I'm struck with, well, one of my favorite preachers of old, and this was a long time ago, like way back in the late 80s, early 90s, before most of you were even born, well, maybe not most of you in this crowd, but some of you were not born at this point. One of my favorite preachers was a guy named Wayne Watson. Actually, he preached through music, okay? He's from the Houston area. Uh, And uh, I was, as it turns out, I was... I've been really processing this sermon for a while and trying to get ready because I didn't want to get you know stoned like with rocks up here today. I don't get stoned the other way either, but I certainly didn't want to get hit with rocks up here. Uh, And so I was going to be careful that I said things the right way in all of this uh, because I think we need to think about what we say we believe when it comes to this stuff. And so I was chewing on it this week, and I got in the car and I was headed out to go somewhere, and I flipped on the radio local. Christian radio station, was playing this song. It was a stretch from a long time ago, way back in the late 80s, early 90s, Wayne Watson's song, Home Free. Some of you will remember that. And the lyrics of this song kind of tip a hat to what I'm saying today. And that is, the reality is that God sometimes doesn't heal people. He can, and we know that he can, but sometimes he doesn't. And so Wayne Watson starts off the song. He was playing on the radio. I was going, it's a sign from God for my sermon. So I'm using it this morning. Here's the way he starts off. I'm trying hard not to think you unkind. But Heavenly Father, if you know my heart, surely you can read my mind. Good people underneath a sea of grief. Some get up and walk away. Some find ultimate relief. Home free eventually. The ultimate healing, we will be home free, he says. Now, I have a lot of respect for him. He wrote a lot of great music with incredible truth. But one of the things that he does in that song is he hits us at one of the simplistic ways we try to explain away this tension that I've been talking about. And that is that we know God can heal and He often does heal. But when He doesn't heal somebody, and we've been praying that He do it, we have to have an explanation for that. Because I, Lord, I prayed hard. I believed that You would heal them, and they didn't, they died in our minds we jump to where well, they were they got that ultimate healing god took them home now that here let me just be real careful to be real honest that helps us get off of the hook i prayed and my faith was strong and it didn't happen and god chose not to heal them, so therefore they went on to be with him the ultimate healing let me tell you i've been on the other side of that for a family member going through incredible sickness, and it is a simplistic, simple-minded, cruel position to take with someone whose loved one just died, if all you can say is, well, we prayed, but God healed them ultimately. That's true, but it doesn't bring a whole lot of comfort to people who are hurting from the loss of a loved one. It is an ultimate, cruel attempt to sidestep the question, why not my loved one? So I think we should be willing to live the question here. Live the question is kind of a good way for me to say, let's struggle with it, okay? It's not easy. So let's don't just be simplistic in the way we answer because it makes us feel better about it, walk away. The credibility of God is on the line with lost people in these issues. So let's be careful that we treat them strongly enough and live the question enough to get beyond the folk religion stuff and get to good answers. And I think there are good answers that we come to in all of this. So the fact is, God can heal the twin fact is God doesn't always heal. So we better figure out what we're going to do with that tension. There, there is one other thing I want to say about this before we come back to the text and let me wrap it up. I have a little bit of a well, i I'm, I'm trying to understand some of the faith healing stuff of our day. And this is an honest search, okay? I, I'm not going to fall into that Baptist approach which says we don't understand it, so therefore we categorize it and we throw rocks at it. I really would like to understand some of what our Christian brothers believe on some of this stuff. Uh, and, and it's a struggle for me, to be honest with you, but... You know, nobody's smart enough to be all wrong, so we need to kind of find out and just live in this question that I'm talking about. And one of the things, and I mentioned it earlier, that tends to happen is in this faith healing stuff, often we approach that and say, well, your faith has to be strong enough for God to heal you. And so many times I've heard it say, well, God, you, you just didn't have enough faith and you just got to believe and you can refuse to doubt. And if you'll just believe it hard enough, then God will do this. That makes that humanism to me. That, that reeks often, not always, but it often reeks of that humanistic approach that says you can just suck it up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. The problem with that is that'll send you to hell if you try just to suck it up and fix your spiritual problems With your own abilities. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. No one has what it takes to get into heaven on their own. They need a Savior. That's you, by the way, as much as it's me. So when we come to this idea of healing, we need to be careful that we understand what we're saying. And to say to somebody, your faith is insufficient for you to be healed, is just another cruel position to take, I believe in a situation that's very difficult I have a friend he's a deacon in another church and on this this deal about if you you know I I have the ability to heal I'm not saying that okay I don't have that okay everybody with me I did not say that I can heal you everybody get that don't check out five minutes ago and hear that and say the preacher said he can heal you that's not what I'm saying but I've known people who believe that And this friend of mine nailed it for me one day. He said, if anybody has the ability to heal people like that, why don't they go into a nursing home and free all of those people from the diseases that keep them there? And the answer to that, that I've heard, is, well, those people don't have enough faith. (laughs) I'm sure there's something I'm missing in there because that just doesn't connect for me at all. So we come to this... I want us to notice in this text, if we say we're people of the Bible, let's be people of the Bible, okay? And this first instance of healing in Jesus' ministry, according to Luke's gospel, has nothing at all to do with the capacity of the people he's dealing with to believe that he can heal them. He walks in, and he stands over Peter's mother-in-law, and he says to to the fever, out with you. And she's healed. Has nothing to do with her capacity to trust him. It is a miracle of God. Here's a good truth. God's ability to heal is not impacted by your faith. That's good news. Because all of us suffer from these attacks of doubt that question, can God really do this. Now we know that he can the question's not and the doubt's not whether he can or not, the doubt is whether he will or not the good news is that he can and sometimes he does heal but a lot of times he doesn't so here's a fundamental truth that drives this whole question for me Okay. you've heard this from me before, you're going to hear it again It's fundamental in the Christian life. God is less interested in your comfort than he is in your growth. Now the reality is that most of our growth occurs in hard times. Let me give you an example of that. Yesterday was my granddaughter's first birthday party. Okay, now she's not even one yet, but she's so special in advance that we're going to do her party before it's her birthday. Actually, that's the only time all the family could get together. So we went over towards that, you know, western part of Texas in Conroe, and we... uh we had a birthday party, a one-year birthday party for my granddaughter. Teresa and I went early so that we could spend a little time with her. Her parents were trying to get stuff ready for the party and all that stuff, so we got a chance to be with her. And uh, as, as incredible as my granddaughter is, I figured out pretty early on she's human. And as a human, there are some things that she's going to need to learn. All right? We walked up, and she looked at her grandmother... And got a pouty, mad-looking face and whipped away from her grandmother. And I thought to her, whoo, you're in trouble now. You just rejected your grandmother. Now, she's going to have to grow out of that. Now, she really had to grow out of the fact that after she did that to her, she was willing to come to me. Now, that's a mistake in our family. (laughs) But as we dealt with Mackenzie through the course of that part of the day, before all the birthday party stuff started... Uh, I began to notice some of these human characteristics that she has. Uh, And that is she's very self-centered. You don't have to teach a baby to be self-centered. They're just self-centered. And one of the realities, now see, I know Mackenzie's daddy. I remember when he was one year old, and I can remember thinking to myself, this child Oh, let's see. I need to be careful how I say this these days. Back in those days, I used to be able to say, This child needs a spanking. He needs a little pain to learn how to behave. That makes sense? I think there's a lot of truth in that for us in this world. And one of the things that God uses for us to grow us is when things in our world are out of control, like physical illness or mental illness or emotional illness. When we find ourselves at the end of ourselves, we know we need help. And God is always more concerned about your growth than he is about your comfort. And one of the greatest environments for us to learn about his compassion and his capacity to hold us and care for us, happens in physical illness. Which impacts then how we pray. Or it should impact how we pray for people who are ill. I'm not going to be one of those who walks down the street looking for somebody for me to pray over them so that they might be healed because God's in whole purpose for them in their situation might be that they see that he is more important than them feeling comfortable. It's a fundamental truth in the Christian life that God is more interested in your growth than in your comfort, and sometimes pain is the best teacher. Sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. Let me give you two quick truths that we draw from this passage, and we'll go home just a couple of minutes here. First of all, we know that he's capable of healing. We've already talked about that. And if he's capable of doing it, and we find examples in Scripture where he does do it, then maybe it's okay for us to pray that he do it. So when you call me and ask me to come, if you happen to do that after this sermon, and you're sick in the hospital and you want me to come, I'm going to come, and here's what I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray necessarily that God heal you, although I might pray that. depends on if I like you or not. No, that's not true. It doesn't depend on that at all. Here's the prayer that I promise you I will pray for you. God, I ask that you do your best for this person. Whatever it is that's going on in their life, do your best for them. If that means heal them, then by all means, we want you to do that. But if you have another purpose in this, I don't want to get involved or in the way of what you're trying to do with this, your child. So my best prayer, Father, is just do for them what is best for them in this circumstance. Let me tell you something. That doesn't mean I don't like you. That's the kindest, most gracious prayer anybody could pray for you, that God would have the freedom to do what's best for you in a situation. Because what God's best is, is best. I've been studying personally, devotionally, in the book of Exodus. I've done this a number of times. I preached through the book of Exodus. Church I came from, it took me two years to get through it, which is going to be a short-term preaching series compared to what Luke's going to take, us. I'm pretty sure. Two years to get through it. I'm studying through it again, and I'm in chapter 1. Actually, I'm in the first about 10 or so verses of chapter 1. I've been there for, I don't know, a week, two weeks, something like that. Because I can't get past some of the basic stuff that's there for us. Here's a reality for you. The children of Israel find themselves in Egypt in chapter 1 of Exodus. They're there, and they're slaves there. And the reason they are is because in chapter 50 and 49 and thereabouts in Genesis, we find Joseph bringing his family. Joseph's the number two guy in Egypt. By this time, he brings all of his family because of the famine. brings them to Egypt, and they stay there for 430 years. And during the time they're there, they become slaves. How do you suppose those people prayed for each other during those 430 years? Think they like being slaves? God deliver us out of this. But if we see the whole picture of God's economy, God got them there into slavery... In order to teach generations of people what it means to be his people. So, in other words, the negative God used as a positive. Now, that has to matriculate down into how we pray for each other when there's illness. My prayers for God's best for you and if that means that you have to go through 430 months of slavery that's hard for me to see i care about you more than to want that for you unless god says this is my plan walk with me through it it's a mouthful you see the tension that i'm talking about here it's a lot more comfortable just say well god just heal him," and turn around walk away and be done with it and hope he does Second big truth, and this is the one that I think drives the whole thing for us today. I'll say it and go. We're done. If you notice two different places in here, it underscores this truth. God has people that need us to bring them to him. Look again, verse 38. He arose, he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. We need to pray for each other you get that but even beyond that we need to be working with people to get them to jesus that's verse 40 and now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him you catch that brought them to him who is it in your life that needs you to get them in contact with god there's a lot of hurting people out there A lot of illness on lots of fronts. And scripture is chock full of examples of God's people bringing people to the great physician. How you pray for them, I've given you a few things to think about today. But the bottom line is only Jesus cures the greatest illness that all men have and that is the curse of sin. And he is the great physician and he steps into your illness situation, whatever it happens to be, and he brings God kind of divine resources to you in it. He may heal you, he may not, but he will never abandon you in the illness. People in your circle need you to get that truth. Let's pray. And so as we come to this, Father, we ask that you would take this message and just Drive it home for us. We know that there's a lot of stuff that's been done here and said here and stuff that will cause us to go away and really chew. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and in us and help us to find your truth in all of this. Now, Father, I pray that you would be about the business of healing during this service. Whoever's here, Whoever needs that touch from you, I pray that in in the way that only you can do, you'd step into that reality and their situation and help them to hear your voice and do your best for them. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, make it so in Jesus' name.